uncontainable you place the stars in the sky and you know them by name you are amazing god incomparable unchangeable you see the depths of my heart and you love me the same just speak out the things that God is for us, what he's been doing, even testimonies or just words of who God is right now.
today's today's remembrance day but um, God has the Lord's army so it's just Isaiah 33 3 at the uproar of your army the peoples flee when you rise up the nations scatter you are so powerful God you are so far above so far beyond our comprehension of power and strength and majesty
You know, just as we're thinking about those words, I asked uh, Kristen to sing that song again because I felt an anointing there when we were worshiping the Lord in that song. There's so much depth. There's so much glory, so much beauty in there. When we realize who our God is, when we realize who the captain of the host is. So today... Lord, fill our hearts with an appreciation and an understanding of the glorious God that you are. That you not only love us tenderly and dearly, but you lead us in a victorious march. You paid the price on Calvary for all of us, Lord, to enjoy your blessings, to enjoy your grace, to enjoy your love, to enjoy your unconditional love for us, Lord. Each one of us, as we stand here today, Lord, we grab a hold of that song, Lord. We apply it to our lives, and we offer it up to you as living sacrifices, Jesus, that you might be glorified and lifted up. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you chose us, Lord. Thank you that you cared for us. Thank you that you love us, Lord. As only a father could. Hallelujah, Jesus. As only a God could. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Music Ministry. Thank you, Krista. That was a beautiful selection of songs. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Krista will come back later on to lead us in singing O Canada want to take a minute or two just to uh, greet each other in the Lord. And uh, I see we have some people we haven't seen for a while here. Hallelujah. Welcome. So take a minute or two right now and just greet each other in the Lord. We've got people from back from Mexico, I see as well. <laughs> and from college, from the highways and the byways. Give me a hug. <laughs> Good to see you back safe and sound. Good to see you back. Back with the family. Yes, sir. And your husband is happy, ain't eh? oh, yeah. <laughs> he? Is Penny here? Wow. Because she's supposed to be talking about all this stuff. <laughs> While we're greeting each other, does anybody 
Anybody heard from Penny or Lincoln? Wow. Well, good morning, everybody, and while you're meeting and greeting, that's okay. Take a few minutes. We don't see each other throughout the week for the most part, so welcome for uh, people that are visiting, people who haven't been here for a while, perhaps been away. Welcome out on this blustery morning. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I was just waiting because uh, Penny Granger was supposed to be doing that. <laughs> Was supposed to be giving us some information regarding the shoe boxes and the uh, the canning um, thing on Monday and etc. Cheryl's just calling her on the phone now. Maybe they ran into some bad roads on the way out from the the boonies there. But anyways, while she's doing that, if you've got your bulletins handy there in front of you, you can look at uh, that and. Uh, very nice uh, write-up on the on the back page of Canada's 100 Days Background. I think Penny put that in there. That's quite quite nice. Uh, also, no, there's no answer on her phone, so they might be on the road. Sure, come on up. Sandy's going to come up here and talk for a minute or two here. Well, I'm not Penny, but I was working with her this week with the shoe boxes and I really want to thank whoever came out on Thursday night we got so many put together and uh, we're getting close to uh, what Diane maybe 50 49 there <laughs> you know these boxes I didn't realize until I went right to the website to read about them just how much of a blessing they are there was a story of one little girl who she, they receive a little bit of a gospel uh, booklet in every box, and that's put in at the next stage these go to. And she had received that and started going to church. And her dad was very, very against her going to church. But mom wanted to go, so mom and her would go to church. And she said when her dad would get after her, she would go to where she hid her box because she had gotten a box. And she said, I'd sit there and I'd take all the items out and look. And maybe I'd cry, she said, and then I'd put them back. And I realized that somebody cared enough to pack a box for me. And Samaritan's Purse never goes to the same place twice. There's about a hundred countries uh, that will receive boxes this year are specially designated ones that have hats and mitts and scarves and things like that are going to the Ukraine and there's a special label on those ones because in that war zone 
they need that kind of thing. They get winter like we do. So today we want to pray over these boxes. Ed, do you want to lead us in that or would you like me to do it right now? Okay. Heavenly Father, we're here today. And you are our amazing victor. So amazing, God. You are so amazing. We ask that your spirit would move as these boxes go to children in countries that are destitute. They're suffering. They're places where they are poor and hungry. Father, I just pray that this gift shoebox, as it might be the only gift they ever receive in their whole life, that the Holy Spirit would minister to each child through that. Bring them out of the difficulties that they are in. Give them strength and courage and peace, Lord. Move with them through whatever they have to go through. I thank you, Father, for your blessing on every box as we get them to the gathering station and they go from there. And I just thank you for moving on your people this year to be generous with the shoeboxes. In the name of Jesus, we give you thanks and praise, Lord. Amen. Oh, okay. Uh, for every box now, because transportation and packaging costs so much more, it's $10 a box to send them. So if you would like to give toward the sending of these boxes, please put it in the offering today. Just uh, if you're making out a check, make it out to our church, but at the bottom, write shoe boxes. Anything that you want to give today would be most appreciated, and we'll get them sent. Is that enough? Hallelujah. You know, if you've ever seen any of the videos uh, when children are receiving these boxes and the big smile that comes on their face, the joy that fills their heart because they haven't uh, much from where they're at. And when they get these things, it's such a blessing to them. And so if you've been on missions, trips or whatnot, have you gone to some of those different parts of the world, uh, you see so much need. And uh, there's such a great void there. I mean, for Christ, for Jesus, for the Holy Spirit to be moving in their lives. But you know, Jesus also fed people first. He took care of their physical needs. And so that they could be open, they could be alert, they could be hungry for more than just food. And people are hungry for more than just food. But what a joy it brings to the children. Hello, Amanda. Is everybody okay on the family? Oh, okay, so they're on their way. They're safe. I was just a little concerned there because uh, thank you, Sandy, for stepping up and, and uh, praying and explaining all about the shoeboxes. All right, um, if you look in your bu uh, bulletins there, there's a, a quite a few things. Uh, there's pierogies and jam coming up uh, this coming Saturday, 6.30. 
if you want to come out to that, uh, you're more than welcome and to join, join us here. Uh, also, uh, in that little square, they were talking about bringing cookies or squares or something that can be served. So if you could drop that off during the week, uh, what they do is have coffee afterwards and, and uh, they'll have some goodies for people that are here in attendance. Um, on Sunday, next Sunday, uh, November 18th, is uh, the Candigamas. Uh, we've got a video that we're putting together, and it's going to be a, a missions-oriented Sunday. So the Candigamas, and you know what? It was just occurred to me while I was sitting there that uh, if you've got some body ministry or testimonies, that might be a really good time uh, to have the missions aspect of it, and also body ministry and testimony. So, so come prepared next Sunday if that's if the Lord puts that on your heart. Um, canned food drive uh, on Tuesday this Tuesday 13th come here to the church uh, at 6.30 I believe and the flyers will be uh, given to us and, and uh, we're going to go out I know Cheryl and I are going to be here I think, I think Carol is here maybe some other people I'm not sure but we'll take bulletins and in the immediate area here we'll just say okay you go down this street and you guys go down this street and we'll just hand out all those uh, bulletins, whatnot. It's a drive for uh, food for the uh, food bank. And uh, we'll figure out how we're going to pick all that up on the next following Tuesday. Oh. Amanda, was there anything else that Penny wanted to bring that you're aware of? That I'm not aware of? It's not in the bulletin? <laughs> okay. Praise the Lord. Uh, are we having children's ministry today or we don't have kids? And we don't Okay, did everybody hear that? They're just moving some of the facilities down to the lower offices and setting them up, so probably next Sunday we'll be maybe ready to go. I don't know. We can grill Penny when she gets here. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Today, you know, is, is a Remembrance Day, and uh, it's not to glorify war, but it's to remember those who have fallen in the service of their country for for righteousness, for truth, for freedom, for the things that we enjoy today in the society. And uh, at 11 o'clock, which is 10 minutes from now, we'll, we'll just stand up for two minutes of silence. And um, Kristen will lead us in singing O Canada. So, or is it Marianne? Oh, yeah, after we stand for the two-minute silence, then we'll, we'll go into O Canada. All right? And uh, so those are basically the Boltons. Our pastor's away. He was on his week of vacation, and uh, they were down in Calgary. I'm not sure if they got back last night or they're getting back today or whatever. But uh, him and his family were down there. A good break for them, well-deserved. And so we want to uh, just thank the Lord for ministering to their hearts and refreshing them at this time as well. So, Father, I pray today, Lord, that your spirit would be upon each one of us as we come here, Lord, to hear your word, to share with each other, Lord, and to uh, sit and ask, Lord, uh, Father, what are you saying to me today? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Are you drawing on my heart in a particular area for a particular purpose? Because you're never changing God in one sense. You're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, but Lord, you're always doing something. Your Holy Spirit is on the move, 
You're moving in our lives. You're giving us direction. You're convicting us. You're blessing us. You're anointing us. You're doing so many things. You're drawing us closer to you, Lord. And Father, we hope and pray that as you draw us closer to you, as we open ourselves to you, as we trust you, Lord, and just say, Father, Abba, Father, I trust you. I place my life in your care, in your hands. And I know that you're a loving Father and that you'll take care of me and you'll lead me on a righteous path, on a well-lit path, not a crooked path. I won't be stumbled, oh God, that I focus on you. So Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is here today. Your word says we're two or more gathered together in your name. There are you in the midst of them. And Lord, we invite your angels to fill this place and flood this place. Lord, I experienced a little bit of that in the worship, Lord, as we were lifting your name up, oh God. I could feel the anointing there, that your presence is here. It's in our lives. It's in our family. It's in our church. It's in this community. We just have to open our eyes and recognize it and see it and trust you, Lord. We thank you, Father, that the things that transpire today will give glory to you, Father, that will lift you up and glorify you and that your name would be lifted up. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Yeah, we're going to do the collection in a minute there. I do that just before the sermon. That way I get to cash first, right? In case the sermon's not so good. No, just kidding you. If you know me, you know I like a little bit of humor. And uh, things haven't changed. So I got a joke for you. <laughs> and I, this joke is called, I might have said it before. It's called the Army of the Lord. I thought it'd be appropriate for today. So a friend was in front of me coming out of church one day, and the preacher was standing at the door, as he always is, to shake their hands. He grabbed my friend by the hand, and he pulled him aside. The pastor said to him, you need to join the army of the Lord. The man replied, I'm already in the army of the Lord, preacher. And the pastor questioned him, and he said, how come I don't see you except at Christmas and Easter. And he whispered back to the pastor, I'm in the secret service. And you know, regrettably, that's true of some people's lives. Do not be ashamed of the Lord. Press in. God loves you. He'll take care of you. Anyways, did anybody know what time of the day that Adam was created? I think it was in the evening. A little before the evening. Boo? Okay. All right, Father, I thank you that, uh, that your word is truth, Lord, and a lamp unto our feet. But now we're going to honor you and worship you in another area, Lord, and that's in the, our giving. So I could ask uh, Frank and the ushers to come forward, be, other, be prepared to take the offering. So if you have your tithes and your offerings ready, you can put them. Hallelujah. John, would you lead us in the prayer? No? That's okay. Ryan, lead us. As we receive today's offering, we are believing you for heaven open, earth invaded, storehouses unlocked, and miracles created, dreams and visions, angelic visitations, declaration, impartation, and divine manifestations, anointings, giftings, and calls, positions and promotions, provisions and resources, 
to go to the nations, souls and more souls from every generation, saved and set free, carrying kingdom revival. Thank you, Father, that as I join my value system to yours, you will shower favor, blessing, and increase upon me so I have more than enough to co-labor with heaven to see Jesus get his full reward. Hallelujah. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. One thing I forgot to mention, if you can, come out on Tuesday nights for the John Bevere's um, series on the bait of Satan. It's really, really good. And I think we're going into module number nine this Tuesday. And it doesn't, the series is such that it doesn't matter if you haven't been to the other ones. Each one is kind of a standalone. They do build on each other, but each one is a sort of a standalone. And they're really, really good. They're really beneficial. Uh, we had a nice time here on Tuesday, and we uh, pastor wasn't here, but we still put the, uh, the video on, watched it. It's about a half-hour video, and then there's a little bit of prayer and discussion, and, and so everything is wrapped up in, a, in under an hour. But they're really beneficial, and uh, I know they've been uh, just encouraging to me to see them and to uh, go through those things and realize and reflect back in my own life in those areas that, that we need to work on, you know? Um, as we get older in the Lord, uh, we've learned some things as we march along and move along, but, you know, we can always be reminded of things or new things that come. And God can reveal to us those things. And it's like the scriptures of the Word of God. It doesn't matter how many times you go through it and read it, there's always something new, something exciting. There's a nugget. There's a revelation. There's something you haven't seen before. And God can grab a hold of your heart and say, look at this. I'm speaking to you now in this time. God's timing is perfect, you know. We can go through passages of Scripture, and we see certain things, and then later on as we go past that Scripture again, at another time he shows something else. He reveals something else, and then something else. And we say, hey, that ties in with this passage over here in this other part of the Bible. And so God is always feeding us. He's always uh, enlightening us. He's always teaching us. And you can never know enough. If you think you've known it all because you've read through the Bible... You're missing it. The heart of God will come through you, through to you, through his word, as you're faithful just to sit there and talk about it to the Lord, and you can have a conversation with him and ask him what he's trying to show you. Uh, that's happened in all of our lives, I'm sure, to different degrees and measures. And uh, it can really plant new seeds in your life, no matter where you are in your spiritual walk, in your Christian walk and a new crop, a fresh crop. It's like manna. It was fresh every day. They wanted to stockpile it. And God said, it's fresh every day. It'll, it'll turn rancid and putrid. I'll give you fresh every day so you can consume that. You know, it's only um, a couple of minutes here to the hour. So before I start, I think we'll just, we'll just stand up and we'll, uh, we'll have our two minutes of, of uh, silence in commemoration, remembrance for those that have fallen in the, in the uh, line of duty gave their lives a sac the, the ultimate sacrifice so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we have today and then we'll follow that with uh, singing our national anthem 
So we'll, we'll start that right now. And, and as we stand here for two minutes, if you've had family or friends that may have been involved directly or indirectly, you can maybe lift them up, think about them. And if not, you can just think about the freedom that you have today to be here in this place, the liberties that you enjoy because of the sacrifices of many people before to suppress tyranny, to, to suppress uh, dictatorships, to suppress evil. There's a spiritual implication there so that we can have the freedom that we have today. Jesus gave us that freedom on Calvary. And our forefathers purchased that freedom for us through the atrocious battles and wars, conflicts that they have gone through. So we can enjoy that today. So we just take two minutes of silence right now. Thank you. It's right on the 11th hour. You lead us and remain standing. We'll just uh, sing our national anthem. Kristen will lead us in that. If they've got the words, you can put them up.
Thank you, Kristen. You may be seated. And another happy customer in the back row there. <laughs> I don't normally entitle the sermons that I, that I give, but uh, sometimes I do. And this one I'd, I'd like to title, entitle it, Soldiering On. And my main text will be out of 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 7. And if you've got them, you can put them up there. And I'll come to them in a minute. And I, I usually speak out of the Amplified Bible because I find it's more fulfilling for me and, and richer. But I want to set the scene here. If you turn to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, and this is Paul speaking, and he sent a letter to Timothy, and Paul is in prison. And I want to set the scene here. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy from Mamertine prison. I don't have a picture of it here. Sorry, I didn't get around to doing that. But the prison was constructed around 640 to 610 B.C. So Paul's in this prison. It's about 600 years old at that time because it was just around A.D. something here when this was written. So the prison is located in ancient Rome. It was intended to be a temporary holding cell for short periods for trial or execution, before trial execution. Both Peter and Paul were apostles in that uh, shared that prison. It's not known uh, when the prison went out of service permanently, but the site has been used for Christian worship since medieval times, and it's currently occupied by two superimposed churches. And this prison has two floors, and the, the floor, the top floor, there's a hole through the floor, and you, you lower people down into the bottom section. And today, there's a church on the top, and there's a church on the bottom. And you can Google it, see the names of them. But that's what it's being used for today. Um, the, in the lower part of the prison, in the bottom cell, uh, there's an altar there. And it's got a cross on the altar, engraved into the altar. And the cross is upside down. Does anybody know why that would be? You see, Peter was crucified. And he said and requested that he be crucified upside down because he didn't want or didn't feel that he was worthy to be crucified like his master, like Jesus. He wasn't worthy, so he requested to be crucified upside down. So in that bottom altar, you'll see the cross, and it's upside down. And, of course, it's, it's reflecting on Peter. This was a wet, dank, dirty, musty place, and it had chains and shackles, and all kinds of other paraphernalia that was no, not so nice to see if you were there. I was reading some when I was researching that people that had been there in the earlier days saw these things on the walls, and they said how, how discouraging that must have been to be down in that prison to see these things. And remember, in Peter's mind, this is the place that you go before trial or execution. It's not a holding prison. It's only a short-term thing. And he was destined to go up and see the emperor. So... The emperor in that time was Nero. And if you know anything about Emperor Nero, he was a very, very bad guy. Uh, he came to power when he was about 16 years old, and uh, he was adopted. And uh, his mother sort of put in the word for him with the emperor and, and got him adopted into the emperor reigning at that time. And then once he was done that, his mother had the emperor killed <laughs> so that she could reign with Nero. 
And she did for about five years until Nero was about, you know, 21, I guess, at the time. And uh, he came to the mind that I should uh, maybe do away with my mom so there's no, you know, there's no competition here because she was kind of ruling side by side with him because he was a young man. And so he sent his navy out to sink the ship that she was on to kill her. And they did. They sank the ship, but his mom swam safely to shore. And then he sent his army there and killed her there on the shore. So you can see he's not a nice guy. Don't feel too bad for his mom because there's quite a bit of murders that she plotted and committed in the same time. It's a bad period. Um, he also murdered his wife. <laughs> and then he burned Rome and he blamed it on the Christians. And, you know, I'm not going to go into all the details here, but uh, he was looking for a scapegoat because, you know, at that time the Romans weren't too happy that their city was burned and everything else, and he blamed it on the Christians. And so he started to bring them into the Colosseum and have them tormented and crucified and killed in all different various ways. But I think he was a pretty unstable guy because uh, he would have, I'll just name one thing, he would have Christians dipped in oil and hung up in his garden and set ablaze. And he would walk through his garden at nighttime with the light of these burning Christians. So you can see Paul sitting in this prison. He's going to be going up before Nero. You can see things are not looking good for Paul. So I want to go right now. And Paul would have been in about his early 60s at this time. So uh, when we look at this particular passage, Paul warns Timothy in this letter about the difficulties of the ministry. And he urges him to be strong into, in contrast to those that defected from him. If you look in the verse 15 chapter 1, it says right there, you already know that all who are in Asia turned away and forsook, and forsook me, and Phygelus and Hermogenius among them, Hermogenius, I'm not sure how you pronounce that. So he's, he's in a low time, he's in prison, people have defected from him, but he's, but he's writing this letter to Timothy, and there's an urgency there, because he knows, more than likely, it's not going on for him. It's probably his last day on the planet. So I want to go to verse 1. And I want to read out there to you. And we're in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. So you, my son, and I'm reading out of the Amplified, be strong or strengthened inwardly in the grace and the spiritual blessing that is to be found only in Christ Jesus. So Timothy was not Paul's son in the flesh, but he was rather Paul's son in that he had trained him in the ministry. And I think he had been training him at this point. I think Timothy had been in the ministry for about 12 or 13 years. And Paul had led Christ, uh, Timothy to Christ during his first missionary journey. And you can read that in 1 Corinthians 4.17 or in Timothy 1.2 and verse 18. I'm not going to go through all these things, so you can either listen to the tape or write them down. So son here was a term of endearment, you know. And, uh, and you know, Timothy was like a son to him. And he, he was writing this letter, and he was, you know, affected in his spirit and his soul. So what's he saying here? It's not in our strength that we do anything, but it's rather in the strength of the Lord. In our weaknesses, Christ could be strong. And Paul knew this. Paul had been through a lot of different things, difficult things, and shipwrecks, and beatings, and persecutions, and 
you name it. He'd been through a lot of things, so he knew what he was talking about, and he's telling Timothy, draw your strength from the Lord. That's where your real, true strength is. It's not in your abilities. It's not how well you can speak. It's not how well you can do things. Trust in God. In your weaknesses, he can be strong. Amen? Verse 2. And the instructions which you have heard from me along with many witnesses, transmit and trust them as a deposit. Interesting, eh? He's making deposits. To reliable and faithful men who will be competent and qualified to teach others also. So during Timothy's years of close association with Paul, he had heard divine truth which God had revealed through Paul. Not only had he heard, but he'd seen things, right? So it's one-on-one. It's -on -one. He had experienced these things. So Timothy was to take the, the divine revelation that he had learned, either seeing or through hearing, from Paul, and he was to teach it to other faithful men. And you know, men you can use here is in either gender, right? It's not just men. It's, it's humankind. Men with proven spiritual characters and gifts who could pass on these truths to another generation. Now, that's true of us as Christians today. We have a responsibility as Christians through His Word, through the Holy Spirit, through how God leads us to teach others and to give them, to pass on to them. So if you've been in the Lord for a while, you've had some experiences. God's spoken to you. You've seen some things. You've experienced some things. And you should be passing those things on to other Christians so they can hear your testimony of how God has transformed and changed your life, how good He is. And that's that's a responsibility we have. There's scriptures that speak about that. But you know, here's the thing you have to remember. When you hear, whether it's from your brethren in the church, whether it's out in, on the radio, whether it's through a book you read, whether it's through a conference you go, be like the Bereans, right? They went back to the Word of God because this is your anchor. This is your cornerstone. Christ is your cornerstone. His Word is living in you. Take those things and look at them and say... What do I understand and can embrace here? And I see that this is, you know, reflecting God's word. And what isn't, maybe you're not so sure, just put it on the shelf. And some stuff, obviously not so, just throw that out. Eat the chicken, spit out the bones, right? So we have a responsibility in that way. But when you read through this particular verse, you see that Paul was more concerned about the work being carried on after his death than really he was of dying. He wasn't crying boo-hoo-woo here. He's sending last-minute instructions to Timothy because he knows that uh, his time is short. If you go to verse 3 there, it says on here, uh, Take with me your share of the hardships and suffering which you are called to endure. That's one of Ryan's favorite words, endure. Private joke. As a good first-class soldier of Christ Jesus. So a soldier, a good soldier, is a metaphor of the Christian life as warfare against the evil world system. We know that, right? There's a battle going on between the flesh and the spirit, and it's been going on ever since Paul spoke this and even before. Every person who ministers in any capacity is a soldier in God's army. And I looked up the word minister, and it's defined as renders aid or service. Have you ever rendered aid or service? Then you've ministered, right? Have you ever participated in music ministry? Then you've ministered. Have you ever 
participated in intercessory prayer, then you've ministered. Are you a Sunday school teacher? Then you minister. Are you a greeter? Then you minister. Have you talked to your neighbor or to a brethren in the church here and prayed for them and spoke to them about some things, encouraged them? Then you've ministered. So all of us have a responsibility to minister and as God would lead you to move forward in that. There's a song out there called uh, God's Got an Army Marching Through the Land. There's... Uh, Deliverance is their song, there's healing in their hands. Their everlasting glory, glow, or, uh, everlasting joy and gladness in their heart. And in this army, we have a part, each one of us. Amen? Hallelujah. Look at verse 4. But just before I go, you know, I, I made a little notation here. Soldiers help soldiers. And we are soldiers. We're reading in the scripture right here that we're soldiers. Paul's telling us. He's referring to Timothy as that. And we have a responsibility to help our fellow soldiers as well. Verse 4. No soldier when in service gets entangled in the enterprises of civilian life. His aim is to satisfy and please the one who enlisted him. Just as a soldier is called to duty to completely uh, sever from the normal affairs of civilian life, so must the soldier of Christ refuse to allow the things of the world to distract him. And the scriptures for that are James 4, 4, 1 John 2, 15 to 17. I'm going to read out of, uh, you don't have to go there, I've got it out here, but in 1 John 2, 15 to 17, it says, quote, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust of it, too. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Verse 5 and 6. If anyone enters competitive games, he is not crowned unless he competes lawfully and fairly according to the rules laid down. Verse 6. It's the hardworking farmer who labors to produce who must be the first partaker of the fruits. So in this verse, it's a call to obey the word of God and Paul is urging Timothy to labor intensely with a, looking, uh, with a view to the harvest, right? So he's saying, pay attention here. Work hard. There is a reward, and you will reap that reward. Maybe not on this earth, necessarily, but you will reap that reward. And verse 7, I just want to finish off this passage. Think over these things I am saying. Understand them and grasp their application. For the Lord will grant you full insight and understanding in some things. In some things? Everything. Everything. So when you think it's impossible, and there's no way you can understand, call the scripture to mind. God will give you understanding in all things. If we ask him, he wants you to ask him. He wants you to go say, Abba, Father, I'm not understanding the situation. I'm not understanding these circumstances. I'm not understanding what's going on here. Can you give me revelation knowledge? Can you give me insight? Can you give me understanding? full insight so I understand what's going on so this particular verse speaks to a strong admonition by Paul to give deep thought about what is being said here he says have I got your attention now the pastor Stephen preached a message about uh, I don't know maybe it was three four weeks ago something like that and he was talking about uh, he was referring to Ephesians Ephesians 6 
Ephesians 6, yeah, verse 6 and following. You know where it talks about the armor of God? It speaks there about a soldier putting on God's armor. The belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, to shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel, taking up the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation, of course, the sword of the spirit. We see here both defensive and offensive armor. So, of course, a shield is going to be offensive or defensive. Both. That's right. You can either stop arrows, or they used to even put spikes on the shields and everything to close combat uh, situations. They could use the shield as well. The sword would be more of an offensive weapon, right? And then of the, the armor, the blessed breastplate of righteousness, all those things. So why does God want us to put that on? Why would he have us put that on? Well, the answer is right there in verse 11. It says that you may be able successfully to stand up against the strategies and the seats of the devil. That's what he wants you to put on. The way it's usually laid out here, though, it focuses on the individual, which is a good thing, you know. However, I'd like to bring out a different perspective and change it more from personal to collective because there is that aspect of it. You don't often hear about that, but that's the truth. So, uh, as a soldier, it's good to be properly dressed and equipped for battle, for your own protection, and your ability to engage the enemy. But there's a bigger picture. Being properly dressed and equipped will help in determining your ability to be an asset and beneficial to your comrades in arms, whether it's your platoon, your division, your country. And you can plug in here your family, your church, the saints, this kingdom. You see, there's a spiritual truth here. And I want you to see this. That I'm trying to give you an analogy of a soldier in the secular world as opposed to who you are, soldiers in God's army, and the spiritual war that you're fighting. So what you have here, in the natural, the soldier wants to be properly equipped for his own protection. But he also needs to be there for his teammates. It's not a hockey game. But he needs to be there for his teammates so that he's well equipped to be able to fight the fight alongside with them. And they are supported and they're girded by his strength or her strength and ability. So we need to remember there's a little bit bigger picture than just for ourselves. God has a bigger plan. So what's the job of soldiers? Well, one of the jobs of a soldier is to, or to restrain or hold back the enemy. And that's defensive, okay? The definition of restrain is to check to hold in or to keep under control or within bounds. A successful army doesn't only restrain the enemy, but also occupies the land and pushes the enemy back. And that's offensive. Now, I'll give you a couple of examples here. And some of you have been around during this time, but remember the Americans in the Vietnam War? They had a powerful army. They had B-52 bombers, F-4 Tomcats, uh, jets, they had all the best equipment, all the best food, all the best uh, support, all the best logistics, and they went against the Viet Cong, who really didn't have a lot. Okay? And the Viet Cong fought a war, and it's basically, it's called a guerrilla war. And they fought a guerrilla war against the Americans. And the Americans were only successful on the immediate land that they occupied. As soon as they came in and cleared out that area, and they moved on, they moved back into the land where they had previously been. 
So all you're doing is chasing all around. You never really have the victory. You win battles. You occupy some ground. You disrupt the enemy a little bit. But you never win the war. It's not decisive. It's not like World War II, where it came to an end. It was decisive. The Americans learned that. And they were a powerful nation, our powerful nation. And they learned that at the hands of the Viet Cong. Another example would be the Russians in Afghanistan, if you remember that. They went in there with their army, their superior firepower. Uh, they had, uh, I remember watching pictures of their, their uh, latest uh, top-of-the-line uh, helicopters with rocket launchers and all that stuff in it. And they went after the Afghanistans up in the mountains and whatnot. And Afghanistans beat them. Same thing. They only were in control of the land or the territory that they presently occupied. As soon as they went after this pocket here, another pocket moved back into the previous pocket. So there was a, a war there that transpired that they could never win, and they pulled out of it too. They should have looked back to Vietnam and realized the mistakes that were there. And they did try. They tried with a tremendous amount of firepower, but they were not successful. So if you look back in history, when uh, Alexander the Great, he went after Tyre. Remember, T-Y-R-E, it's off of Lebanon, off the coast of Lebanon. It's about a half a mile from Lebanon. Uh, there is a, a modern tire now there, but it's not the original tire. The original tire was wiped out. And if you look back in, uh, in the scriptures, I think it's Ezekiel, God commands Ezekiel, says, Ezekiel, turn your face towards them and prophesy this. And the prophecy was that there was going to be death and destruction to them, that their town was going to be wiped out, that they were going to be utterly destroyed, never to be on the face of the planet again, so to speak. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the first one. He went against Tyre on the mainland, which was the mainland part of the, of the place. And uh, he spent 13 years there, bombarding the walls and stuff and things. And eventually, while this was going on, they started moving strategically their uh, wives, their children, all their wealth and everything to this little island a half mile off the coast. And they built walls around that city. They say the walls were 150 feet high. I, I, that's just phenomenal even think about that. But uh, Nebuchadnezzar turned away, finally gave up. Along comes Alexander the Great. He just finishes beating them in Sidon. And he comes up to, the, to them in Tyre and he wants, uh, they, they capitulate. They say, oh, we, we'll, we'll live under your terms and everything. And so Alexander wanted to come over to the island and he wanted to worship this god and they wouldn't let him do that. So he ticked Alexander off. So Alexander starts laying siege. And how is he going to defeat these guys a half mile off the coast? You know what he does? He sends his troops in, the old encampment ashore. He takes down all the bricks of all the buildings, all the ruins, and he dumps them and starts building a causeway not only does he take the stones, he scrapes the very soil. And it's prophesied right in the scripture. I give you the passage. And it says he will take the, the sand, the stones, your city, and, and it will be barren ground. And in those days when they wanted to really do you harm, they salted the earth afterwards so you couldn't grow anything there for a long, long time. So Alexander starts building, up, building this causeway out, and he does exactly, it fulfills the prophecy in scripture that the prophet Ezekiel brought 200 years prior. You see, prophecy's not confined by time frames. 
It could be a day, a week, an hour. It could be 200 years. The test of a true prophecy is that what is spoken shall come to pass. And Christ spoke it, or God spoke it through prophet Ezekiel. You read about it, it's quite an interesting story. So Alexander the Great starts building this causeway. They start resisting him. And it took seven months. And if you read the battles here of all the things he went through, Alexander was really upset with these people because of the losses that he took. And uh, some of his generals said, just leave them alone. Let's just bypass them and go on to the rest of the, uh, conquering the rest of the world. But Alexander knew something. He says, you, he knew about guerrilla warfare. He knew that if you allowed that pocket to be behind you, you could be in big trouble. And he says, I can't go on until I take care of this first. And he did. And he besieged the city. It took him seven months. He had casualties. But when he got, breached the walls, it's a pretty amazing story. He, uh, he killed 6,000 right inside the city, took 2,000 out to the beaches and crucified them, and sold the other 30,000 into captivity, into slavery. But what's interesting about this is how God's word is so accurate and prophesied everything. And one of the things that was in there was remarkable to me in the prophecy. It says that the fishermen will hang their nets on your walls. And they do that today. That causeway that was built out was used with the stones and the bricks from, the, from Tyre or Shore. And the fishing boats go there and they spread their nets out there to dry. Every part. There's about 25 different particular things in that prophecy and each one has come to pass just as God prophesied it through his prophets so we have a really a good picture here of God's ability to, to do what he says and he can use men and women and he can take his time frame is perfect not necessarily our time our time frame but uh, his is perfect so I said guerrilla warfare is a form of warf warfare in which combatants use military tactics. I was looking at this up and it says including ambushes, sabotage, raids, hit and run tactics. In other words, distractions to keep the enemy from advancing. Does that sound familiar? Do you see the spiritual implication here? God will show you and open your eyes if you pray and ask him to show you what the distractions are in your life. Whether around you, whether around the church, you know, anybody here know Brother Leonard Franco? Uh, Leonard Franco was here for uh, our brother uh, Lawrence Wijanowski's funeral uh, back a little while ago. And Leonard and I were in the prayer room and we were praying. And Leonard stopped and he said, Ed, he says, Lord just gave me a, a, a beautiful vision here. He says, well, maybe not so beautiful, but he gave me a vision. And he says, I saw your church. And he said, I saw all these little fires around your church, circling around your church. And he said it was kind of like it was, you were so busy fighting these fires, and then you go over to this fire, and then you go over to that fire, and then you go over to this fire. And I says, well, Leonard, <laughs> there's a lot of truth there. <laughs> and that's what the devil does. He'll do, do it in your life personally. He'll do it to you as a church collectively, or a community, whatever. He fights a guerrilla warfare. He brings in sabotage, and deceit, and lies, and sedition, and everything else to distract you. If you keep your face on Jesus, you won't be distracted by those things. Amen? Hallelujah. There's about a hundred Bible verses about being a soldier. You can look those up yourself uh, when you get home. 
We are the salt of the earth, and we are the light of the world. Do you know that? How do you know that you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world? That's you. That's you, Al. That's you. That's you. That's you. It's me. It's all of us. We are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And you're right. It says that. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16, if you've got your Bibles or you can throw it up there, I just want to read it quickly. It says here, starting in verse 13, have you got that? Oh, sorry. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16, and I'm reading out of the Amplified. And here's where it tells us we are. It says right here, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, that is its strength and its quality, how can its saltiness be restored? It is not good for anything, but long, no longer, but to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on the lampstand, you know this scripture well, and it gives light to all in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your moral excellence and your praiseworthy, noble, and good deeds and recognize and honor and praise and glorify your Father, right, who is in heaven. So salt, this passage is interesting right after the Beatitudes, so it's kind of cool. But salt is essential for life in general. It's one of the basic human tastes. You know when you say something tastes salty, something tastes sweet, something tastes hot, something tastes bland. We have some, so it's, it's one of the basic human tastes and it's, and it's used for uh, food preservation as you know. It's a cleansing as well as a, or a purifying agent as well. You remember the passage in scripture where Elisha goes and they have a bad water well there. The water's bad and poisonous and stuff. And they call the prophet in, well, who are you going to do? He says, bring me some salt. And they go, Elisha, salt, are you crazy? The water's already bad and you want to throw salt? You know what happens when you throw salt in water? It becomes salt water and you can't drink it. Elisha says, just do as I tell you. Trust in God. They bring him the salt. He puts the salt in there. And what happens? The water's purified. They can drink the water and it's good. And there's a, there's a reason why that's there. Why would God say that? Why would he show it? Because it's a covenant with God. If you read Leviticus 2.13, uh, I'll, I'll just go there quickly because i got little tabs here to cheat. 2.13, every cereal, this is a, an interesting thing. Uh, they're talking about the offerings here. It says, every cereal offering you shall season with salt, which is a symbol of preservation. Neither shall you allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your cereal offering, but he goes on, and here's the, just a big revelation. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Not just with your cereal offerings, with all of your offerings. So, it's interesting, in Romans 12, verses 1 to 2, we won't go there, go there but it says that we are the living sacrifices. We are an offering to God. We are the salt to God. We are there in our offerings. We are the salt in that offering. You understand what I'm saying here? And so that's us. And so we need to be mindful and respective of that. And how does that apply? So the force of the Holy Spirit, inspired truth, which is the gospel, restrains evil 
in this world. Sometime, some of you may have heard this uh, passage where it talks about God's going to lift the Holy Spirit off of the, off of the people in the end times and all that stuff. Well, I want you to look at that again because it doesn't really say that. Okay? But what it does say is that we who are the salt, who preserve, we restrain evil in this world. You do. All of us. We restrain evil in this world by our presence, by worshiping God, by testifying, by walking in His truth. We restrain evil. That's what we do. Wherever truth goes, evil is rebuked and souls are brought out of darkness to the light of life in Acts 28. Or excuse me, Acts 26, verses 18 to 20. Light shouldn't necessarily attract, but it should expose. Think about that for a second. We sing that song, I'm, you know, the light on the hill, and da-da-da-da. And I think in our minds sometimes we think it's focusing on us. But what is light supposed to do? When you get in your car and you turn on your headlights, you're not trying to attract deer in your headlights. You're trying to expose what's in the road, Right? When you turn the lights on in your house, you're not trying to attract flies to the light bulb. You're trying to see where you're going to walk. So light is to expose primarily, not so much to attract. We know that God is the light of this world. And he exposes. Yes, there's a, there's a reverence there, but he exposes. He brings light to where darkness was. Truth. We are the temples of the and his word is in us, and we restrain evil in this world because of that. I want to read a short passage here. I just, uh, I was doing some research on Vimy Ridge, and I just took a couple of paragraphs out of the, out of the report just to read it to you. And if you're not familiar, this was during World War II, or excuse me, World War I, and uh, this was a particularly hard battle it was fought. It was uh, one of greatest victories, and I'm just going to read this. The Battle of Vimy Ridge during the First uh, World War is one of Canada's most celebrated military victories. Four divisions, the divisions about 6,000 men, four divisions of the Canadian Corps fighting together, I had that double underlined, fighting together for the first time attacked the ridge from 9th to the 12th of April in 1917, and they captured it from the German army. It was the largest territorial advance of any Allied force to that point in the war. More than 10,500 Canadians were killed and wounded in the assault. By 1917, after three years of fruitless slaughter, the First World War had become a struggle of attrition. The opposing Allied and German armies were stuck in a stalemate on the Western Front. Listen to this. Millions of soldiers on both sides had been killed and wounded in battles that brought the war no closer to an end. What a tragic cost. The Canadians were ordered to seize the high strategic ground, a strong point of Vimy Ridge. My daughter went there when she was in France. She said, Dad, it's just awesome. If you go there in the presence, she said, it's just awesome. Anyways, capturing the high ground would also give the Allies an important geographic vantage point with sweeping views over the enemy positions, enemy positions to the east. As one Canadian observer moved, noted at the time, he said, quote, more of the war could be seen atop Vimy Ridge than from any other place in France. German forces had been entrenched on the heights of the ridge since nearly the beginning of the war in 1914, and despite several attempts to dislodge them, 
more than 100,000 French soldiers had died or been wounded uh, in previous efforts to recapture the ridge. It's quite a cost. Now think about this. You're a Canadian soldier. You're in one of those four divisions. We're sending you up to take that hill. Oh, they lost 100,000 Frenchmen up there. You know? What must have been in their minds? But they got prepared. Now I want you to use this spiritual analogy here. They did lots of different things, but one of the new things they did was new artillery tactics would be used at Vimy Ridge in advance of the main assault. And this is kind of a Canadian thing, and all armies in the world use it today. The leading wave of attacking troops would move across the battlefield close behind and a creeping barrage of allied shell fire designed to protect the attackers by keeping enemy troops sheltered in their bunkers until the Canadians were virtually on top of them, right? In their trenches. And by the late afternoon of 9th of April, the three divisions had captured all their objectives, one of the other divisions was still fighting, on schedule, and most of Vimy Ridge was in Canadian hands. At the deepest point of the advance, the Canadians had pushed the German army back almost five kilometers, three miles, the greatest single Allied advance on the Western Front to that point in the war. The four-day battle was over, and Vimy Ridge was finally in Allied hands. A stunning but costly victory. The fighting left 3,600 Canadians dead, another 7,000 wounded, and there were an estimated 20,000 casualties on the German side and about another 4,000 Germans were taken prisoner. It was quite the battle on Vimy Ridge, quite the sacrifice, quite, quite the loss of life. But there was victory. You know, there's no, in my opinion, there is no glory in war itself. And that's not to take away from the people who have fought, given their lives, and everything else in battle. But in the war itself, in my opinion, there's no glory. It certainly wasn't in my mom's opinion. My mom was a Dutch girl. She was about 18 years old, give or take a year. And she was uh, living in Holland, in Holland, and it was, in, it was occupied at that time by the Germans. And uh, she told me some stories. Uh, I'll just tell you a couple here. She said, you know, the Allies would come in and they would bomb. Bomb the train stations and everything around because they wanted to keep the Germans from getting supplied, resupplied and everything. And uh, unfortunately, there's always some collateral damage. But my mom said after the bombing raids, they would go out. This blew my mind when she told me this. She said, we would go to the roof of the house and we'd pick up the bomb fragments. Because see, when these bombs blew up, all these chunks went flying. She said, if you didn't do that after a few raids, your roof would collapse because of the weight of the bomb fragments. So I went, wow. And my mom said, there's no glory in that. My mom was there when they took Jewish men, women, and children. My mom stood there and watched it. And they drammed them on these cattle cars and closed the doors and the train left. People screaming, crying, some people in shock. And we know what happened there. My mom said, there's no glory in that. My mom's youngest brother, they were at home and there came a knock on the door and the Gestapo had arrived, and they took her youngest brother. Because see, they were looking for the, the Dutch resistance. They took her brother away for questioning. They never saw him again. So it was a deep hurt in her heart. The family had lost a son. 
And I remember one time I was looking at my mom's leg, and I saw <clears throat> she had a little black mark about a quarter inch wide, maybe two inches long on the lower part of her, her calf there. And I said, what's that, Mom? She says, well, she says, I was coming home. I'm not sure where she was working, a factory or something. She says, I was coming home, and I got off the, uh, the trolley, the streetcar, and she says, as I'm heading home, I ran into three drunk um, SS troops. And one of them was an officer, because she had, he had the, the peaked hat and pistol and all that. And they were drunk, and the uh, officer told her to come with them. My mom said no, because she knew they didn't have good intentions. And he took his pistol out, and he aimed at her, he was going to kill her, he was going to shoot her. He said, you come or I'm going to shoot you right now. And the other two guys sort of start manhandling him a little bit, they back off. My mom took advantage of that and took off. And she said, in her running, she stumbled over a coal pile, and she scratched her leg, and the coal dust is what that line was, because the skin healed over. And they weren't allowed to have lights on there, it was curfew, you know, all your lights had to be out, blackout, because they didn't want the Allied bombers to have any kind of reference points. She says, no glory in that. My dad was in the Royal Canadian Army Corps, and he saw service overseas, and he went up through uh, Italy and into uh, the Netherlands, which they liberated. And my dad was uh, in the engineering corps because he was an armorer, and he could fix anything from a handgun to the biggest howitzers. That's what they did. And uh, he was on the front lines, and the artillery bar uh, barrages would go back and forth between the, the enemy and the allies, and the shells land. And my dad said, you know, I'd go up there to fix the howitzer. It might just be a couple of minor parts, but the whole crew would be body pieces all around from the shelling and stuff. He says, no glory there. My dad had friends and comrades that were a foot or two away from him that got killed. No glory there. It's not, a, it's not a glorious thing, war is. But sometimes it's a necessity. And if he thinks that's bad, what I've just said to you, just read through the scriptures about some of the things and the battles. But when you're talking to somebody who lived it, you know, my dad, when he came home to Canada, never pursued an interest in fixing guns or being a blacksmith, nothing. Never even owned a weapon the whole time. Never had a handgun, he never had a hunting rifle, just wouldn't touch guns anymore. I guess he must have been affected, just seen some things. And he didn't share those things right away, it was when I was older, because he didn't talk about it a lot. I think a lot of guys and women came back, and they were suffering from post-traumatic stress syndrome. They didn't want to talk about that. A number of years ago, Bob Dylan wrote a song, and I, I got this article from Chris Suet, and it's a, called, Gotta Serve Somebody. Anybody heard that song? Okay, in this song, Dylan mentions all kinds of people, lifestyles and professions. That the bottom line for every person, no matter who they are or what they do, is that you must serve somebody, either the devil or the Lord. You can dress Satan up with all the religious, religious finery you want. In 1 Corinthians 8, verses 4 to 6 refers to that. But in the end, it's still Satan and not the one true God. 1 Corinthians 10, 18 to 22. Whom you serve will be seen in your thoughts, your words, and your actions. An army of soldiers... Oh, I typed it wrong. An army of soldiers is... They serve, not just themselves, 
but for the benefit of a greater cause. And that's true of us as Christians. We serve, right? We're offerings. We're the salt. We're the light in the world, the salt of the, of the world, the earth. We should serve not only God's kingdom, but we should serve each other. Amen? We all have a responsibility to don the armor of God, and it's not just for ourselves. We have to look at the bigger picture. We know that we stand from a place of victory purchased by Christ on Calvary, of course, but I believe the Lord would have you engage in every aspect of how the Holy Spirit leads you into. Remember our acronym RISK? Relationship, Involvement, Spirit, Kingdom? I is for involvement. Engage. Be involved. We spoke it from here. You know that we, we stand in a position of victory. But God wants us to move in, to be involved, to be engaged in church, with each other, with Him, in all kinds of different ways. And the Holy Spirit will lead you into that. And you just need to listen to that voice and move along with Him. And for yourselves and for others in His kingdom, there is indeed glory in that. There's glory in that, brothers and sisters. As you fight the good fight, not only for yourselves, but for everybody the rest of your family. If you're a mom and a dad, you know how you protect your family. You know how you take care of them, how you nurture them, how your heart is for them, how you support them. And it doesn't matter whether they do good or bad. You still love them, and you still support them. Because that's the heart of a parent, isn't it? And that's the heart of our father. His heart is so much, so much greater than ours can, can ever be. We just have a, a, a little inkling and a taste of it from time to time. So I want to encourage you here. I'm going to close. But I wanted to encourage you, having said all this, the main point that I wanted to get across was that uh, you are in the army. You're in the army of God. You don't have to worry about physically necessarily being abused because they did back then. The martyrs did. The apostles did. But today, you, you might get uh, abuse in the form of uh, people calling you names or laughing at you or making comments or whatever. And, you know, pastors talked about that. But we need to grab a hold of the bigger picture like Paul had there as he's passing on to Timothy. There's a bigger picture here. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, right? And we can trust God. Here's the thing. We can trust God. When these men stormed Vimy Ridge, they were thinking... The French lost 100,000 troops. And here we're going up this hill. And, and by the way, please, please, do not, please, whether if you're of German descent or whatever, this is not about Germans and Canadians. This is about armies, okay? So that's long past. I just want you to get that right. But we are uh, in, the, in that army, and God will take you through everything you need to go through. You see, as you go through these battles that you go through in the Spirit, what do you become? You become hardened in a good way. You ever watch that program, Forge and Fire? They bang this sword a million times with a hammer and everything else, and then finally they quench it in the oil. They heat treat it, they get it blowing red hot, and then they quench it, and then the edge stays sharp. It'll be effective. And I was sharing with, I think it was Sandy or something on Tuesday, whatever. I was in church one time. And I was worshiping, Lord, I may even share this with you before. And the Lord gave me a vision. And there I was, 
I was standing with a sword, more kind of like a saber, I thought. But I'm standing there with that sword, and I'm looking at the end of the sword, and I see a bayonet attached to the sword. Now, bayonets go on rifles. They don't go on swords. And I thought, wow, I got my attention there, Lord. What's that all about? And he told me. The Holy Spirit told me. He said, what is the sword, son? It's the word of God. I went, yeah. He says, you haven't got enough of that in you yet to be effective. I have to put a little bayonet on the end there so you have reach. He says, study my word. It's the sword. Imbibe it. Consume it. Live it. Take it unto yourself. And your sword, it's kind of like every time you read the scripture, the Lord's hammering there on that sword, putting another edge to it, you know. That's what it is. I said, okay, Lord, thank you. I understand. And I'm not saying I know the word better than anybody else. I'm just saying God had to speak to me in that area. And so that is our strength. That's our anchor. And I want to encourage you today to soldier on through the thick and the thin. There's good times and there's bad times. When I was in the military, there was good times and there was bad times. There was some enjoyable things and there was some not so enjoyable things. But guess what? I'm standing here. It came out in the end and so will you. God's made provision for that. God said, I will not forsake any of you. I won't let any of you be lost. I will strengthen you. I will bring the understanding that you need when you call upon my name. And then we have to trust him. And I was going to say, when they went to Vimy Ridge, and they're thinking 100,000 Frenchmen lost their lives up in this place here. What are we going to do? But they prepared beforehand. They did something other troops didn't do. That barrage, I'm saying, they marched towards the lines as the shells were dropping over them, in front of them. The Germans were hunkered down. The enemy was hunkered down in the bunkers. And, you know, actually, if you read up on that, they dropped a hundred, oh, no, one million shells. It was unprecedented before. One million shells. I can't even fathom it. But if you ever look at the battleground pictures, the old ones, it's nothing but uh, like a moon crater everywhere. A million shells. So it was heavy artillery bombardment, and then they had built tunnels underneath to, uh, to have retrieves and pockets and whatnot because the battlefields were just strewn with injured and whatnot. So they did, it was preparation. It was being ready. It was be willing to pay the cost. We were going. One more time, boys. See the commercial on TV? One more time, get out of the trenches. They were willing to pay the cost. God's saying to you, if you're going through things, one more time, and trust me, I've made preparations. I won't let the devourer snatch you away. And the scripture says what? That the roaring lion comes to seek who he may devour. And God says, I will save you. And if you read the grammar there, it's like just when it's necessary in the nick of time. But I want you to experience for your benefit, not to terrorize you, but you can learn. A soldier learns from being on the battlefield. What's wise and maybe what's not so wise. And you get, that's why they send in troops that have been in battle before in particular tough situations. When I was in the military, I'm just going to end it with this here. I remember we used to go out to the rifle range and they'd have these hills, these uh, mounds, 100 yards, 200 yards, and you go to the 100 yard and fire into it. And they would divide us in half. And half would be on the, on the firing range and the other half would go into the butts. And the butts are they're concrete three, three ways and they're all covered with place you just back into and in front of you is the target that goes up and down and you mechanically lift the target up and down sometimes you put the, the silhouette of a 
man up and you turn it and they have uh, five seconds to snap off how many shots and you turn it back. And that's just your guy, right? There's all the way down the line. And sometimes it's just a big... But the thing that impressed me was when I was in there and they opened fire, all of a sudden people were shooting at me because I'm sitting there huddled in this butt with a steel helmet on and the bullets are ricocheting off of the ground, clumps of earth and feet, 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 feet. You hear all the bullets going by you and when they hit the target, pack, 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 you know? And uh, you're thinking, well, I got this concrete around me. What are these bullets ricochets off the steel frame? I'm going to catch it, you know? But it's a, it's a really scary situation when you got all those bullets whizzing around you. But if you have troops who've been in that before, they know how to deal with it. You know, they're not frozen in fear. They're battle-hardened. They've experienced some things. And that's why you would send in those troops. And that's what God's doing with you right now, whether you know it or not. In your Christian walk, as you walk through this life, God is, wor God is working in your life to give you more experience to be hardened in a good way for the effectiveness of his kingdom and the battle that you are going to be pursuing. And so I'm going to close with that right now. And I want to encourage you uh, to think about what was said here and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and draw the analogy in all these aspects of a secular war as opposed to a spiritual war as your responsibility for your own self as a soldier, but also for soldier as a soldier of Christ, fighting the good fight for the gospel, for God's kingdom. God said on the cross, I could call down ten legions of angels right now. He didn't do it that way. He could call down legions of angels right now. And I understand it's a two to one because greater are they that are with them than be with us than they that are with them. And uh, But God's ordained for you to walk through this as warriors. And with that comes benefits as well. You know, and God will show you those things and he'll bless you. So Father, I I thank you for this church, Lord. I thank you for your church, Lord. I thank you for the living sacrifices that come within the walls of this building, Lord. That we are the salt of the earth and the, and the light of the world, Lord. You've said it in your word. Lord, the devil would come to people and deceive them and lie to them and rob from them that truth. But the truth is, Lord, they are. And you have, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, through your anointing, the ability to move in and through us and accomplish what needs to be done on this battlefield, as it were, Lord. Father, we know that we stand from a place of victory, but we know that we must be involved as well, not only for ourselves, for others, Lord, to render aid and service, to render assistance, to minister, to bring it to not only within these walls, but outside of these walls to a hurting world out there, Lord, who don't know you, who don't know the truth, who are being lied and deceived by the uh, enemy, lied to and deceived by the enemy. So Father, as we go today for the remainder of this week, Lord, I pray that your uh, anointing would be upon their lives, that you would open their spiritual eyes and ears to see and hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to them, to give them direction, discernment, wisdom, and guidance in all that they undertake to do, Lord. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just put a check in them to, to pray about things before they move into that just to allow you, Father, to get the understanding of what they need to know, that you might be glorified in their lives, because I know you're a father who wishes his children well. You bless us, you love us, and you wish us well. And so, Lord, I pray that you would move in our lives, and we would grab a hold of that truth, and the reality of who you are, that your spirit that resides within us, we 
are the temples of the Holy Ghost. And we move forward in the power and the might, and above all, the love of Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father. And we uh, give you the, glor the glory and the honor for all the good things that transpired here today, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, that's it.